With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, just a quick note before we get started here. There was a bit of a lag on the Skype connection during our call, and some of the audio wasn't too great. It's not always easy to fix, and some of it's not fixable. Um, so apologies there if the audio isn't great, but I do really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hello and welcome to episode Todd White of the Cosper Pointcast. I am your host, Trevor Shackles. I know the show took a bit of a break in March and April, but it's been a pretty hectic time for me with this semester finishing up. And luckily for me, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about regarding the Senators' season. But now that the season has ended, there's going to be plenty of discussion in the coming months. But in the meantime, to recap what was a god-awful 2017-18 season, here is someone who I've been trying to get on the show for quite a while, and unfortunately life kept getting in the way. But I'm very happy to have him on today for the first time. It's writer for The Athletic, Graham Nichols. Graham, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm, uh, I'm glad we could uh, finally get you on for a time that works for both of us. So the thing that's most fresh in people's minds right now regarding the Senators is obviously the town hall meetings a few weeks ago. So what were your overall impressions from those three meetings? Yeah, uh, so lucky enough, I was able to go to the Tuesday night, the first of the town halls. Um, and it was interesting. You know, there were 300 people there. The demographics are widespread. There's young people in their 30s, uh, fresh season ticket holders. There are people in their 40s, 50s. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, like considering the season that Ottawa had, I expected there to be like a little bit more animosity, a little bit more right uh, reservations about what the organization had to say. And, you know, like both, both, Pierre Dorian and Eugene Melnick made their opening introductory remarks, and everybody seemed to be just, you know, clapping, had nothing bad. Like, there was no reservation. It was kind of like everybody just kind of seemed like they were stomaching what they had to say. And, you know, like, there were fine introductory statements or whatever, but, like, I wasn't anticipating the organization to allow fans to ask whatever the hell they wanted. So one of the things that Dean Brown, the moderator, said to the crowd before the event even started was, you guys are all going to get an opportunity to ask questions, whatever you want. If you're not happy with the answer, have a follow-up question, right? Because they will answer it. And right. I wasn't, considering like Eugene Melnick has that reputation for going off the cuff and, and saying whatever the hell he wants, whenever the hell he wants. I think if you look at the NHL 100 Classic, it's a perfect example of that. Uh, he is not afraid to say whatever he wants. And since that time, since that NHL 100 Classic, you know, he's been very quiet. So this was essentially the first opportunity that fans had to ask pointed questions of him. And for them to kind of just let the message go unfiltered, I thought was a huge surprise. And the the night did not disappoint. Like fans, fans point black, asked him some difficult questions. And some of the answers that they provided weren't that great. And I was surprised because looking back to early March when they sent out that season, that letter to season ticket holders where they said, you know, we're going to invest in hockey ops and player development and, and scouting. We're going to do this the right way. We're going to re- rebuild the right way. Uh, um, you know, like just everything essentially that was said in that letter uh, just kind of fell by the wayside. It didn't seem like they were giving a different message at this first town hall. And I think that kind of carried over to the following two town halls on Wednesday. And it was surprising. I didn't anticipate this event going the way that it did. And it kind of carried over to the next day. And it seemed like there's a a lot of like negativity and buzz concerning it and you know i think some of it's deserved some of it might not be but i'm just kind of surprised because the way that the organization has been run you know at the end of the year they're going to sell hope they're going to sell all these different things they're going to tell you about all the things that they're going to do differently and after going to these yeah. town halls it doesn't sound like they're going to do things much differently than they did leading up to it so it's going to be interesting to watch this is a pivotal offseason for the senators yeah definitely um i i obviously wasn't there but from from what i saw from tweets and people talking about it was it seems like you know Melnick is going to make small changes. Like somebody was asking about having a uh, um, Canadian flag on the Senator's jersey. And, oh, they, they might look into that. And, like, they're going to um, try to fix parking and, like, some of the in-game experience. But they seemed hesitant to, I don't know, fix things for in terms of the on-ice product, right? Like 
Malnick was shooting down the idea of adding more scouts yeah, because kind of, it has to be kind of the, quality guys. And so that was that was kind of a bit disappointing then, to hear him say. It was the weird part about the meetings because it seemed like the older crowd, and I'm not trying to like just stereotype a profile here, but like the older crowd seemed to be concerned with like, you know, it was the Canada's 150th birthday last year. So <laughs> why didn't we have Canada flag? Or like, you know, like yeah. people were concerned about tarps. It's like, well, you guys have season tickets. So why do you care about the tarps in the third level? Like you're not, like, why would you be concerned? You already have tickets. It's like they kind of just talked about some of these issues and like the first question wasn't even a question at the event it was like <laughs> i just want to let you know mr melnick that those billboards aren't reflective of the way i feel about you and it's like well yeah okay why don't you just tell them that after and like you like literally you have this platform to ask the man like anything anything and call him on some <laughs> some of the stuff and that's the first thing that you actually say it, like to me it was just weird it was, like some of the questions were just like out there and different and like i get it like obviously there's like a wide span spectrum of fan you know some people are going to be at one end of the spectrum where it's like hey I, i'm just here to watch hockey i don't really care about what happens behind the scenes or, or the decisions or what impacts their personnel decisions i'm just here to watch hockey and be entertained that's totally fine i get that but at the other end of the spectrum it's like for me just being there i like there is this unique opportunity to ask these guys some very important questions and some people just didn't care about that and it was i found it kind of interesting considering everything that happened this season it still seems like there's a large number of fans and season ticket holders who just carry the water. Definitely. And, and, and here's my question then is what would these town hall meetings be a lot different if it wasn't just season ticket holders? Like if it was open up to everybody? Uh, yeah. Well, I think there is some passion season ticket holders who, you know, want to ask the difficult questions, want to do this. But I think it's just like, you know, as, as there are casual fans who, you know, they don't care about the mind or the details they just want to see a winning product on the ice and they don't really care how it happens uh so like yeah it, it, like if you get impassioned people on twitter like i mean like you control what's in your feed anyways on twitter and social media right so you like if that's the way that you tailor your feed you're, you're going to see that kind of response from the fans who are disappointed and upset but at the same time you have, have to recognize that like there are people across all walks of life in the city with different levels of interest who have different ideas of what they want answered and like you have to kind of understand that those people are out there and they're going to ask their questions and whatnot. But at the same time, it's just, I, I found it kind of funny. I just found it funny because <laughs> yeah. you have this opportunity to grill them on important issues. And we're talking about putting a Canada flag on the Jersey. And to me, it's just like, well, who cares? <laughs> who really cares about something so small and like trivial? That was, that was kind of my impression as well. Um, oh, overall though, like after these meetings, would you say you're more confident, less confident, or pretty much just the same in, in this organization? Anytime, anytime the organization has to go, like the opportunity to go through a reset, like you can, it's weird because I'm, I can sit here and talk about like, you know, you could rebuild properly. And like, if Eric Carlson doesn't want to stay, you could rebuild properly and create optimism again. But at the same time, I think, I think a lot of people are reaching the point where they look at Eugene Melnick and, and say, listen, if this guy's not, if this guy's not going anywhere over the next 10 years, it's like, it's hard to have optimism. And I think the more, the more he sticks around and the more the status quo stays the same, uh, I think they're going to lose a lot of fans, uh, unfortunately. And I don't think that's any reflection of the players or the product that they put on the ice. I think that's just the lack of faith or trust in, in the decisions that go on behind the scenes. And I think, you know, like if if Eric Carlson leaves this summer on his own volition and if Melnick bungles this LeBreton Flats deal, like you talk to me in a year from now, like if those two things come to fruition, it's going to be, you're going to have a lot of pissed off people. And there's no skirting that issue. Um, I think Eric Carlson's probably gone this offseason anyways yeah and you know like if eugene melnick has to stay and I, it looks like that's going to be the case if he has to stay i think there's certain steps that need to be taken to convince a lot of fans that he's capable of operating and owning a winner right? and it, it, an organization that can be put on the right path i just look at his stuff as a pattern of behavior and, and question whether or not uh, he's capable of doing that and i think that's kind of where a number of fans stand at this definitely point. I, I i agree with that i it's hard to support a team that um, that Melnick owns right now. But um, moving from one depressing topic to another, um, you know, obviously this season, pretty much everything went wrong. What were some of the most concerning developments in your mind, though? I get on and off the ice, I guess. On and off the ice? Uh, again, the status quo and management. Uh, you listen to Peridorian's comments from Town Hall. He, after the organization literally put in a 
a letter to season ticket holders. Hey, we're going to invest in player development, scouting. We're going to do everything right. Do everything that a, like a normal small market organization should when they can't spend millions of dollars on players to like curb their payroll and, and put it towards the cap ceiling. Uh, Pierre Dorian came out at the town halls and say, hey, listen, I have the resources that I need uh, to be successful this is the way it's always been under John Muckler and Brian Murray. But I think if you look back at 2007 when Brian Murray inherited the team, the first thing that he did was bump up the scouting staff and the hockey yeah. offside of things after John Muckler left. And for, for Dorian to say that the organization could be successful under, uh, under Muckler, I think if you look back, uh, Muckler wrote the coattails of the guys who were there before him. Um, he came into a great situation where the team was already on the cusp and had their window of contention. And it closed under him and his draft record and what he did with the organization during his <laughs> years of tenure, uh, essentially closed yeah. the window faster than it had to, uh, than he had to. And it, for, for Dorian to kind of echo those, like fans won't recognize or like, or that certain people wouldn't be able to see through that a little bit, uh, was a bit weird, but maybe it's just like revisionist history where nobody really looks at how many scouts were there. They just look at Ottawa's success and like, you know, yeah, from like 2000, you know, from like 98 to 2007, it was really successful. But like, why was that? It was a small market team. It was drafting development. Um, and they hit home runs of the draft. And, and I think if you look back at the team's draft record since 2007, yeah, they've they produced a lot of players who've played NHL games and have NHL experience. No superstars. Like, I, like I put this on Twitter like not that long ago. It's like how how many how many 30 goal scorers has the team drafted? And developed and had on the roster. It's essentially Jason Spezza. And that was, what, 2001? And then you had Patrick Eves and Nick Foligno who scored 30 goals yeah. elsewhere. And, and, you know, it's like we, we, we talk about the importance of drafting developing defensemen, but there haven't been, for the number of top 10 picks that this team's had over the past 10 years, you know, like you look at Zabinajad or Jared Cowan, like they've missed a lot in the first round and in the second round. And you have to kind of wonder, it's like, well, why is that? Why is that happening? And then you get in the whole scouting and player development model, and it's like, hey, why isn't this team drafting players who don't play in Canada, the United States, or Sweden? What's going on? Like, are we, are they, are the gaps that big? Like, are the scouts that short staff where they can't cover such a wide, massive, massive area or get like second looks at players to get like a, a stronger opinion of these players? It's, to me, it's unsettling because I look at their team, I look at their analytics or their lack of faith in analytics. I look at the comments made by management, and it just seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for improvement, but they don't seem happy to kind of tackle those issues. They're just, you know, status quo. And I feel like the field at this point in their co competition are just lapping them. And it's it's to a point where you wonder how many years behind they are right now and how, how far in the future it'll be before they rectify it. Right. And I'm under the impression that they're pretty much avoiding Russia right now for scouting. Because, I mean, they haven't drafted a Russian since, I think, it was Ruslan Bashkarov. And, you know, like, they don't even... They've had... You know Sergey Gonchar and Alexei Kovalev on their team, but and he, and he was out of the and Bashkarov was out of the queue. Like he oh, okay, even, even worse Russia. then. Yeah, jeez, I mean, so you, like you'd have to go back even further. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, in terms of in terms of uh, on ice product, though, what are some what are some concerning things that you're seeing uh, from the players there? I think it's the investment and the continued investment in this defense group beyond Eric Carlson. Um, I don't. I don't understand the faith or Dorian's comments where it's like Cody Cece's a guy who I know the pundits don't like, but I want him to be a center for not a really long time. And <laughs> yeah. it, 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 to me, that doesn't make any sense. Like you look at the numbers, you look at how he's being used. I see a guy whose numbers are underwhelming for a guy who's overmatched playing difficult minutes against the best. You, you can make the argument that, yeah, he plays tough minutes against really good players, but at the same time, it's like, well, if you're getting that caved in where his numbers are amongst the league's worst yeah. for defensemen, you kind of have to reconsider how valuable he is in that role and whether or not you're like kind of just overreaching with him a little bit. And if, if I think if you go into this offseason and Eric Carlson leaves in a trade and you're re-signing Cody Ceci, a lot of people are going to be rubbed the wrong way. And, you know, even, even going further, like the blue line's still a mess. It hasn't really been addressed over the last eight, ten years. Uh, looking at the forward groups, this team has no problems giving multi-year deals to bottom six players who aren't that effective. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're kind of squeezing Eric Carlson at the top in terms of payroll, in terms of what he could be asking for. Like, that was one of the things that I found kind of weird about the town hall meeting that I was at. Uh, they said, hey, we want to do everything we can to keep Eric Carlson here for a long time. And then Mella comes in and trips in with, uh, well, we have a range of what we think is fair, and he has to slide into that. If he can't fit into that, then, you know, then we have to recognize that there are other teams around the league that will offer him that. And it's like, 
And, you know, like five people in the room are like slow clapping. And it's like, wait, wait a second. What the hell did you just say? And like, it was, it was just bizarre. Like, you know, like how do you nickel and dime one of the game's best players, but you're, you know, you're repeatedly willing to overextend yourself on players that you have no business. You should have no business bringing into the fold for a small market team. Like to me, it doesn't make any sense. And the way that this team's operated is kind of backwards in those respects. Yeah, I, I pretty much have no faith in um, Doran's ability to identify good depth players. I mean, how many guys has he brought in that just haven't been good? Nate Thompson, Alex Burrows, Gabriel Dumont. I know a lot of people like Tom Pyatt, but God, his possession numbers, his possession numbers have been god-awful for the past two seasons. Um, just all these guys. He's had an opportunity to bring in solid players. Like I liked Victor Stahlberg. That was a good pickup. But besides that, they just the bottom six has been pretty atrocious. And then if you're giving money in term to guys like Mike Condon, you know he's making two point four million. Um, if CC gets his long term contract, it's these contracts that are gonna make make it possible or make it impossible for Otto to resign Carlson. So um, you know I don't know why they just don't do the right. Chicago model where you know we pay your stars, you know give Carlson eleven, even twelve million, whatever. And then just have a bunch of guys on entry level contracts or you know cheap, uh, cheap fourth line players for a million bucks, nine hundred thousand dollars, whatever, because those guys are replaceable. A guy like Carlson isn't yeah. replaceable. Well, it's weird too because like I look at the organization historically over the past number of years, they're they're more than content to play veteran intangible players on their third and fourth lines. Meanwhile, you have like a guy like a Nick Paul who's who like I didn't think much of heading into this year, anyways, and you know. Know, like then he finally gets a cup of coffee this year and he's actually playing okay yeah and then they demote him and he's gone for like the rest of the season what when the team's out of it and they're just continuing to roll like veteran fourth line guys when it's like maybe we should be using this opportunity to evaluate a guy who's already here internally who safely projects to be a fourth line player anyways so what are you really losing you know if the season's already lost at this point like why aren't you taking a good long look at this guy and i don't know like it's just it's weird because they they like they like their veteran guys, and again, if we're talking about scouting uh, costs and investing in player development, like it seems like the organization just didn't use their scouts to find third and fourth line players. They just went with players that the coaching staff was comfortable because they had experience coaching these guys before. And to me, that that just strikes me as lazy, out of touch. And it's you know, like I look at Guy Boucher's style and everything that he's done. He's playing a European kind of passive style in a league, in a copycat league where everything's like high tempo. <laughs> And I just don't, it's, it's just weird. It just seems like, I don't know, maybe it's a market inefficiency that the Senators are trying to do because nobody else is doing it. But at the same time, it hasn't really been that effective. It hasn't. Um, the, the funny thing, too, I find is that when they got Nick Shore, I was actually pretty excited because he was a, actually a decent fourth liner and he had really good penalty kill numbers, um, really good shot suppression numbers at 5-on-5 five five as well. And then, what, three weeks later, two weeks later, they gave him up for a seventh-round pick. So, you know, he, I think he was who Nate, they, sorry, he was who people thought Nate Thompson was. And then they just pretty much gave him away for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. And that's the way, it's like, they're willing to overextend themselves on certain players, but when it comes to other people, they just kind of like, no, we're done with this guy. And yeah. it's, it's weird. It's, it's really weird. So I don't know. It, it's it's a really weird organization to be a fan of right now. Yeah. But anyway, obviously, even with these horrendous seasons, there are some bright spots. So are there, well, there definitely are some positives, but what, what are some positives that you would take from this season? Uh, Mark Stone's play. I think he's kind of asserted himself. I wish he would shoot the puck a lot more because I think he's got a better shot than a lot of people give him credit for. And he can fill the net, but he's still, you know, he's shooting higher than 10% every season. Yeah. Uh, he does the little things right. He's, he looks to be a great leader as well, respected within the room. Um, he had a great season. I wish he stayed healthy towards the end because he probably would have scored 30 goals. Um, and, like, you know, like he's a, he's a guy that you can rally behind, cheer cheer for. Uh, Matt DeShane obviously got off to a slow start in terms of production, but I thought he played pretty well during his first little stretch. Yeah. The points just weren't there. Eventually, he the points started falling, and I thought he looked exceptional. <clears throat> I think the question with him... The question with him for me is, you know, if you trade Eric Carlson this offseason, which I think the Senators are headed in that direction, like, what do you do with Matt Duchesne? Do you sign him until he's 34, 35? You know, it's almost like the Kyle, Kyle Turris situation from last season where you're having those kind of conversations. But, like, obviously he's a great skater, fantastic on the puck. He's a more dynamic player than Kyle Turris ever was. But at the same time, you know, what's this, what's this team's window? How long do you hold on to a player who's good um, before he starts to decline? And then are you in a 
that situation where you're trading a player on the decline when you could get more for him now. Like those are the kind of like team building questions that the organization really has to sit down and have this offseason. But I thought Matt Duchesne was exceptional. Uh, Mark Stone, like I said, Eric Carlson uh, could have been better. I thought he looked a little lax defensively this year compared to previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, with a team that falls out of it by December, I don't think, especially with all the yeah, all the stuff that was going on off the ice, not just for Carlson, but with the team and ownership and everything else that was going on, I thought you know you, you can excuse a lot of that play. Um, aside from that, like I, it's not. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to find a lot of like silver linings in the season. Like the goaltending was terrible. Yeah. Uh, the depth players weren't very good. Mike Hoffman had stretches where he looked good. It stretches where he looked like he was just kind of collecting his paycheck. Um, it's you know aside from like two or three players, it was really hard to get excited about the Senators this year. And you know even if even if we're all kind of like hanging our hopes on like prospects that the organization brought in from like the Broussard deal and stuff it's like you got to recognize too it's you know getting a late first round pick and a goaltending prospect like those are two assets that may never really pan out that the way that you hoped there's such a there's such a high attrition rate with those kind of assets that uh, you never know what'll happen with them but they're good to have in the fold they have they add value now so hopefully those two those two pieces are pieces that Ottawa can build around moving forward definitely i will i will say in terms of Duchesne, you know if carl yeah, if Carlson is traded this summer, there's really no point in keeping Duchesne, honestly. Like, but then at the same time, is uh, I guess we'll get into this a bit later. It just really sucks because they don't have that first round pick next year. Because like, you can't really tank because there's going to be no point unless you're going to reacquire that uh, the pick from from the Avalanche. But yeah, there honestly, I don't know if there'd be much of a point in keeping Duchesne if they do trade Carlson. Um, but also, I will say I was pleasantly surprised at the play of Thomas Chabot and Christian Willannon. I think they can be decent players on the left side. So yeah, I think that's a reason for optimism. But then at the same time, you know, they could be in the top four. But if you're trading Eric Carlson and you're keeping Cody Cece on the first or second pairing, I don't know how good the defense will be in the next few years. No, and it comes back to usage too. Like, what is Christian Willannon? Like, we saw a small sample size, yeah. obviously, and he looked fantastic. And, you know, like, it's nice to see guys on the left side move the puck as well as he and Shabbat did. And, like, you're right. Like, it was an egregious oversight on my part, not to mention Shabbat. Like, he was exceptional this year. Uh, I'm really anxious to look forward to the future with him. But I'm also interested in kind of what Ottawa does to support a player like that because, you know, like, I look at Ottawa's roster, they have those, like, 28, you know, 27, 28, 29 year olds, like Carlson, uh, Deshane, and Stone. Well, Desh- Stone's 25, but like you're kind of looking for like that kind of wave of players around 25, 26 to kind of bridge the gap until like Shabbat's at that higher level, performing at a higher level, right? Like it seems like Ottawa, there's like a little bit of a talent gap between like the the young 20 year olds and like the players who are already established. Like Ottawa's missing those like really good 22, 23 year olds just to kind of help bridge that gap a little bit. But uh, you're right. Like those are two players who, you know, Sens fans should get really, really excited for moving forward, especially because their defenseman in Ottawa's left side hasn't been good in years. Right. So, well, and I will mention too, I mean, they're guaranteed a top five pick this year and there's a pretty good top three. You know, if they end up getting Rasmus Dahlin, that is absolutely massive. But even Andrei Sveshnikov or Philip Zadina, I think they're both going to be pretty solid players. Um, after that is a bit of a drop off. So if they get four or five, it's not quite as good, but I think they'll still be getting, you know, a top blue chip prospect either way. So that's another thing to at least get excited about. For sure. Absolutely. Now, with uh, with Craig Anderson and Mike Condon both locked up for the next two years, the goaltending situation is definitely a huge question mark. They were both pretty bad this year. Um, what should they do there, or can they even do anything for next year? I don't know if they can do anything but hope for like, some normalization in the numbers. Uh, I was looking at Craig Anderson's numbers, obviously looking at last season's, uh, the 2016-2017 season. I think Ottawa should have anticipated a little bit of regression there in terms of Craig Anderson's performance, but I don't think anyone could have reasonably expected Craig Anderson to put up the worst numbers of his career uh, as a starter, and in, just in terms of save percentage and the kind of shots that he was letting in. So with him signing like a two-year contract extension before the start of the season, like I don't know what else you can do besides just, hey, hope, hopefully this guy gets better and hopefully this isn't part of some larger trend where it's just Craig Anderson's, you know, turning 37 and yeah. he's just at that age where, you know, you can expect the performance to decline. I don't know if they have a choice, but just to kind of like hope that everything kind of works itself out and he bounces back. Like even if he becomes a league average goaltender, I think it, that helps the Senators a little bit. Because it seemed like every year, any time this team made a mistake within its own end, it was finding the back of the net. And that can't happen with this team. Like, if you look at Ottawa, like last year, they, were, they wound up making the playoffs in the last week of the regular season. Eric Carlson was performing, a, you know, like a Norris Trophy caliber kind of play. And even at those levels, 
uh, Ottawa wasn't that good. And if they don't have the goaltending uh, that they did last season, they're in trouble. They're always going to be in trouble. Yep. So unless they're making, you know, unless Craig Anderson and Mike Condon are making the saves, this team's in trouble. And, you know, looking at Mike Condon's career numbers, like he had like a 20-game, 15-20-game stretch. I mean, Montreal where he was very good while Carey Price was out. Same thing last year with Ottawa with uh, Craig Anderson dealing with his wife's illness. Um, aside from those, like, stretches, he hasn't been that good of a goaltender. No. I think he's at 907 By league standards. So I don't – I yeah. So I, I don't know what you can expect – uh, from him, it was interesting because I thought Pierre Dorian in his exit uh, media availabilities. Uh, I think it may have even been his 1200 interview on In the Box. He said like his only directive to Guy Boucher at the end of the season was to play Mike Condon more, mm-hmm. which I found interesting because you know the guy is what 27 years old. Like you should have your you should have your finger on the pulse of what this guy is at this point in time. And I think you know this guy's been given extended runs with with the teams that he's played on, and he's faded the more he plays. So. Obviously, it helps having the old Montreal goaltending coach here in uh, Gru, but at the same time, got, there has to be something better eventually because you can't keep going to these guys if Craig Anderson keeps regressing. I expect Mike Condon to bail this team out of it because it's not going to happen. I think there's enough body of work to suggest that Mike Condon is just not that good. And yeah. even by backup goaltender standards, he's not that good. So it's, I don't know. To me, it, it seems like the organization is wasting about a million, million and a half on Mike Condon's salary. Definitely. And I think you can reasonably probably expect a bit of a bounce back from Anderson. You know, not, he's not going to be a sub 900 save percentage guy, but you know, he could be around 910 and that's not good enough, you know, because goalie aging curves are horrific and he's already kind of bucked the trend a bit. Um, but pretty much who's the only other goalie uh, to play super well, you know, late into their thirties, I guess Luongo, maybe like Thomas Vokun. It's, it's pretty rare. You're hoping for like, Dwayne Rollison. Yeah, Maybe Dwayne Rollison. Like, no, and, and, like Lundqvist is getting up there now. But yeah. it's like the only reason why those goaltenders are still playing at that age is because they were like the cream of the cream yeah. in their late 20s, early 30s. And go- like they're just holding on to them at that point. So it's rare for like a league average goalie to make it to those to those ages. It just doesn't happen that often. But maybe like Dwayne Rollison is what you're hoping for. But yeah. he imploded towards the latter stages of his uh, career too. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to move – Condon and then maybe try to get a guy like Philip Grubauer or Aaron Dell or maybe even Malcolm Subban, someone like that? I don't, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, at that cost, I don't know. It, it seems like every year there's a guy available on waivers like that you can pick up and just kind of throw into the mix. True, um, yeah, yeah too, it's, it's interesting because like obviously inflation happens and like the salary cap keeps going up. So, you know, spending like $2 million on a backup is not even that offensive, but um, yeah, it's just, it, again, it, it's almost like adding guys to your third and fourth line or your fourth line, just your fourth line, like spending over a million dollars on a fourth line veteran doesn't, to me, doesn't make a ton of sense, especially if you're a small market team, like, like what the savings, the cost savings and everything else that go into it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense for me. But if the intent is to play Condon more, maybe you can justify spending more on a backup goaltender. But, um, yeah, just in terms of the performance, I, I just don't see a lot of bang for the buck with Condon. So, yeah, definitely. I think. Moving forward, the Senators are kind of banking on one of Philip Gustafson or maybe even Marcus Hogberg being the starting goalie, but uh, that may be a few years from now. Um, so to me, it seems like this summer. Oh, but, you, but even still, if if you're talking about if you're talking about young goaltenders, like how many young goaltenders have the Senators had since like 2003? Yeah. And you're like, oh, this guy's this guy's going to be a bona fide number one, and you're just like holding out all hope for this guy to pan out, and it just never happens. Jeff Glass. Whether it's like Ray Emery, Rob Lehner, Jeff Glass, yeah, <laughs> and it just never really happens, and it's just that's kind of like what you have to recognize and these guys don't necessarily pan out to what you profile them to be and you got to be careful of that it's a volatile position and you know it's not an exact science and you know in in the senator's case they gave up a ton of shots in the middle of the ice this season and it made guys like anderson and condon look bad too and i don't think like you know obviously the goaltending didn't play that well but if you're not playing that well in front of them it's hard to throw all the blame that direction too so yeah, I mean, goalies are voodoo, so it's it's almost worthless trying to project what these goalies are going to be. Um, but anyway, it'll be interesting nonetheless. So to me, it seems like this summer will probably determine the next five to ten years of the Senators organization. What, what sort of strategy do you think they'll employ? Because like I mentioned earlier, like if they want to blow it up and tank next year, they don't have that first-round pick. So... Um, Plus, a lot of their plans probably revolve around Eric Carlson either leaving or staying. 
So what do you think they will end up doing generally? And what would you do if you were in Dorian's shoes? Versus what they should do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think everything's, if everything is predicated on Carlson's relationship with the owner and what the owner's willing to spend on Carlson and they're, they're at a crossroads where Carlson knows he's leaving, everything I would do as a manager is predicated off what Carlson decides to do. If he decides to stay, I think you can, you know, you can put a competitive, you could, you could essentially your goal should be to put a more competitive team on the ice because you never, you know, these are Carlson's prime years uh, or remaining prime years. And I think you have to make a fair and honest effort to go for it while he's still in his prime. Uh, and then you have pieces and you don't have that top five, you know, you, you don't have to worry about the pick next year necessarily. Um, if he decides to go and you have no other choice, then I think you have to gut it. You have to gut it. And even though you don't have a pick, you, your own pick next season, um, you can still move some assets to recoup what you may or may not be missing. Uh, whether it's like you move Eric Carlson and get like a young prospect who's ready to step into the lineup sure, who could yeah. be whatever your equivalent top five pick is. I think you can go about it that way. I think what Ottawa may be tempted to do is maybe flip Eric Carlson for another defenseman who's under team control for a longer period of time. Like one of the guys who was mentioned a little bit during the season was a guy like Subban. I don't know if that's a fit, but it seems like the kind of thing that Ottawa would do just to kind of placate the fan base and be like, hey, yeah, Eric Carlson <laughs> wants to leave, but hey, look at this guy that we're bringing in now. It's almost like the Bobby Ryan. Yeah. It's almost like the Bobby Ryan thing from like a couple of years ago with Alfredson, right? Where it's like you saw the PR go from like everyone's just like vehemently opposed to what Ottawa's doing to, <laughs> to saying, oh man, this team may be better than it was without Alfredson. You know? So it like optics a lot of a lot of what Ottawa's done over the past few years has been driven by optics too. And I wonder if that's what's gonna kind of force them their hand or for some of their decisions this offseason. And, uh, you know, like if, if it's up to me and if Carlson has to leave, I'd probably make more trades than just Eric Carlson. You know, I'm probably looking at other pieces return a bigger part of the future. Um, just my concern is that everything that Ottawa does this offseason is just cut costs everywhere, trade Eric Carlson, lump Bobby Ryan's contract into it, marginalize the return, uh, hold on to a few other pieces because you're just worried about, you know, cost cutting and savings on millions and millions of dollars because the team has no real cares about on-ice competitiveness. They're just there to save the owner as much money as possible. And that's that's probably my biggest concern with this offseason. I think this offseason, from a transparency point of view, is probably not just – this offseason is not just the biggest, but I think this is probably one of the best introspectives we'll get into the philosophy of the Ottawa Senators. And oh, yeah. everything kind of comes ahead with Eric Carlson. And once once those dominoes fall, uh, you're going to have – you're gonna have a good feeling about what Eugene Mellick is all about, what Pierre Dorian's all about. Is Pierre Dorian just a yes man, or is he able to make the best hockey deal he can make? And I think it's gonna be interesting. I, I it's you know there's there's tepid optimism because I think this team could rebuild itself very easily, but at the same time, I'm just kind of concerned with you know everything that we've heard in terms of rumors and everything else, and then you listen to what they said at the town halls. And to me, it just feels like it's a status quo. It feels like this is an organization that truly believes that this year was just a one-off. It can never repeat itself and happen again. And, me, you know, maybe if they get the good goaltending, maybe it won't happen again. But at the same time, you know, I, I look at this team and I see a number of systemic problems that have kind of been under the hood for a long time. And a lot of the mistakes that they made over the past few seasons kind of played, them, played itself out this year. And I feel like that's going to keep playing itself over and over again until it actually gets corrected. And until they acknowledge what the problems are and, and rectify them, I just kind of feel like the organization is spinning its tires a little bit. I, I agree with all that. I think uh, this summer, if, if Carlson actually is moved, you know, that day is going to be absolute hell on Twitter. And, you know, people are going to, you know, lose their minds. And I, I honestly think if he does get moved, I do think they'll, you know, they're, like you said, they're, they want to have good PR, right? Like they want to make sure that, uh, if they have that Carlson trade, they're going to try to counter it with something else, bring in a new guy or something. It might not be a superstar, but it's going to be someone. And I, I don't think they're going to completely gut it, even if they maybe should. Um, I just really don't think Melnick has the, has the guts to do that. Like, I don't think he can completely sell off everybody. Um, you know, even if, you know, a, a team without Carlson, I really don't think they're going to be very good, even if they do. Um, even if it is like a quote unquote hockey trade where they get a body back or something, I just don't think they're going to be very good without him. So, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, there's a lot of different ways they could take this and who knows, like maybe, maybe this is already determined. Like maybe Carlson doesn't actually want to stay just because of Melnick or he knows that he isn't going to get the, the money that he wants. So, um, 
but yeah, we'll, we'll see in the next in the next uh, couple months, I guess. It's going to be an inter- interesting July. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it, like come July first, it's going to be it's going to be crazy because that you know Carlson's decision. I think like I I feel like at this point in time they already know where it's headed. Uh, they'd be silly not to, and you know like. Maybe like to me, it just seems like them them telling the fan base right now, saying, "Hey, we're going to make an offer to him on July 1st, and then we'll see what happens." That's that's essentially prefacing what we already know that this organization is going to make him an offer. He'll turn around, and say no, and say, "Hey, it was his decision. He wants to leave. It's not on us. We did everything we could." And you know, it's just it's I think it's intellectual dishonesty at that point. <laughs> but um, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because I. I'm more interested in the fan reaction to it because I think there's a lot of people in the city just from attending the town halls that still carry water for this organization and still, yeah, for whatever real. reason, uh, believe every word that this organization, well, it's just they believe everything that comes out of the organization's mouth. And it's to me, it's just, it's naive. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if, if this offseason doesn't go according to plan and more people will be swayed to that whole Melnick out movement and... Who knows what you know? Who knows where that goes? And maybe that picks up more momentum this off season. And uh, it's interesting. Like <laughs> everything that's happened this year. Like even though we talk about how depressing it was and everything else, I think it, you know one of the one of the positives that came from it is it kind of sheds light onto how this organization has been operating. Definitely. You know, they've had success. They've had modest success these past few seasons. Where you look at the Hammond, Hammond or the Andrew Hammond run years ago, and you look at the run last season, it's like those things happened and they were awesome. Everybody was invested. They loved it. It was an entertaining time to be a fan, but I think a lot of people also recognize that as good as those runs were, there's still some underlying issues that needed to be addressed. And, you know, just by having those runs, I think the organization was able to sweep them kind of under the rug and in the background. And now this season, everything kind of came to a head and it's it's at a crossroads this summer and I'm kind of anxious to see where it goes because it, it's pivotal. It's pivotal for this franchise. And I think it's pivotal for ownership and I think it's pivotal for the relationship between this fan base and the owner. And, um, it feels like this has been kind of building towards a head for a while, and now we're finally going to get a chance to see it play out. Definitely. I, I think when you mentioned those successful seasons, like with the Hamburglar run and, and the run to the conference finals last year, it seems like the organization is always willing to believe that that is the true team. And whenever they, you know, on when the next year they don't make the playoffs, they think, oh, it's just a fluke, and, you know, they'll, they'll be back in the playoffs. And, you know, most of the time they are back in the playoffs the next year, but a lot of the time that's, you know, due to. Eric Carlson playing amazing or Craig Anderson standing on his head. So um, you're right. There definitely are a lot of underlying issues. um, And I don't think that's being fixed anytime soon. Um, But at the end of the day, is your prediction that Carlson gets traded in like first week of July or something like that? I think he's gone this summer. I I don't think he wants to stay. Not, not for this owner. Um, Maybe that's, maybe that'll be proven wrong. I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Uh, But that's my instinct based off you know, everything that's been said at this point. And, you know, like, I, I think one of the things that people underestimate or don't talk about is like Eric Carlson, when he signed his extension, had a, you know, he was married before and then he went through a divorce. Yeah. And like, he's going to be looking to break the bank on this contract because he lost money on his last deal uh, to his ex-wife. So, you know, nobody talks about that, but that's, I think that's one of the things that needs to be considered. Like, this is a guy who's looking to break the bank and cash in as much money as he, ha- as he can because he lost some of his, uh, he lost some of that money on his last deal. So, I, I don't know. I hope he stays. He likes it here. He's got a lot of motivations for wanting to stay. But at the same time, if he doesn't have confidence in this group to, to win, produce a winner, and pay him the kind of money he's looking for, like I don't blame him for leaving. And I don't think anybody should. No. Um, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Everything's, everything that seems with the organization is just kind of like a mechanism in PR and optics. So I'm looking forward to see what this offseason produces. You know, if you believe Pierre Dorian, he said he isn't going to trade Eric Carlson at the draft. Doesn't mean he won't trade him before the draft or after the draft. And, you know, they will offer him a contract. Hell, it could be a cap hit of $3 million, but they'll offer him a contract. And, you know, that that uh, that got Dorian a standing ovation. Or no, I don't know if it was a standing ovation, but a lot of claps at the yeah, it got him a, <laughs> the meeting. It got, him a, it got him a rousing round of applause. Yeah. But it's like, okay, so if you're offered a haymaker of a deal tomorrow, you just turn around and, like, you pull the trigger on it like without question. Yeah. You know, it's like... I don't know. But like again, it's just like you tell people what they want to hear, they'll clap. But at the same time, it's like, well, what happens on July 2nd? If you trade them on July 2nd and none of it matters anyway. Exactly. It's just, it's weird. It was weird. It was weird how people responded to certain aspects of that whole thing. And it's like, I was sitting beside a gentleman at the show and like a couple people asked questions, like just kind of asked me, like one guy asked Mel, like what kind of conditions he'd need 
in order to sell a team. And like the guy beside me says, it was just kind of anti-media. It was almost like that Trumpian, like, oh, what is that guy? Like media or something? And it's just like, no, man, he's just like, he's a season ticket holder. It's just, you know, it's, it was weird. It was just the, the whole vibe of the thing was bizarre. I didn't, it was different. It, it wasn't what I was anticipating, but at the same time, I kind of respect how there's, you know, not everybody's going to hold the same positions that you do. Not everyone's going to be as passionate about the same issues as, as you are as, as another fan. So it's just interesting to kind of see that all kind of unfold at an event like that. But yeah. Um, you know, again, at the end of this, at the at the end of this, maybe like maybe it doesn't matter for certain fans what happens to Eric Carlson. They just don't care. They're just there to cheer for the jersey. They're not there to cheer for the name on the back of the jersey. But it's like it's 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 hard to watch a generational player like that just walk out the door if this is where it's leading. Like it's just it's really difficult to stomach, and it just seems like it's avoidable, unfortunately. But if Melnick's not going anywhere and Carlson has no faith in him, I don't know what the choice is at this point. So yeah. I agree completely on all that. Um, not too much else to add. Uh, I think that about covers everything for today. Um, unless there's anything else you want to plug or mention before we sign off here? No, man. It's all good. But uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate talking to you. I'm sorry that everything didn't align earlier in the season, but uh, glad I had a chance to talk to you now. No, that's all good. Thanks for coming on, Graham. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Take care, Trip. You too. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can rate and review in those places as well. I'm up to eight five-star reviews on iTunes, so let's get that number even higher. It really helps me out. You can also follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at Silver7Sends, and if you have any suggestions for your future episodes, let me know. That's all for me. Adios.